Are you living like a believer or an unbeliever? Living out your identity. Are you living like a Christian or a non-Christian? Well, you don't have to be a Christian very long or be a part of a church very long to have the experience of knowing someone who puts their trust in Jesus, seems to be growing as a Christian, and then seems to leave Jesus behind and head back into their former life of sin. It was one of the most probably confusing things for me when I first became a Christian. I wasn't raised in the church, so I didn't really have a category for Christians that went back to sinful behavior and patterns. Well, when that happens, if that's a close friend of yours or somebody who's been discipling you, it, it causes a lot of confusion. It raises a lot of questions. You have questions like, were they really Christians? You have questions like, how, how does that happen? They seem so excited about Jesus Christ. What went wrong? If they're saved, why aren't they obeying Jesus? Questions of, is there any hope for them? Once they started out well, and now they're all tangled up in the net again? Another question is, will there be lasting consequences for them? Well, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you have a person that comes to mind. Maybe it's yourself. That at times you were following the Lord, you were walking with the Lord, and then you went back to your former way of living. Well, the letter we're going to look at today... 1 Corinthians, is really in many ways aiming at closing that gap between a person's profession of Christ, genuine Christians who really have trusted in Christ, but many of them have gone back to their former way of living. And the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul is going to call them back to live the new life that they have in Christ. So we're going to look at actually three verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The big idea of this passage that Paul is aiming at really in this entire chapter, is that since we have been made alive in Christ, we must not return to our old sinful ways. Because we've been made alive, we mustn't return back to our old sinful ways. Another way of saying it, if you are a Christian, you should live like a Christian. If you are a Christian, you should obey the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with this passage at all, there is a lot of debate about verse 9. And so I read a whole bunch of stuff about this passage um, this week. And there's a lot of debate, and I'd encourage you to study the passage on your own. But I'm going to be arguing from a position where I am convinced of from studying. And 
I think no matter where you land on interpreting verse 9, is it talking about Christians? Are they talking about non-Christians? Talking about eternal rewards? Wherever you land, the big idea of the chapter and really verses 9-11 through 11 are very clear. The aim is that Christians should be living in their new life that they have in Christ. So we're going to jump into I'm not going to go through all of the positions because I'm preaching a sermon and uh, we have limited time. But if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you more about that whole idea. So I have two simple points. The first point is this. We must not live like the unrighteous. We must not live like the unrighteous. I'm speaking, and Paul is speaking to those of you who have turned to Jesus Christ for your salvation. You are a Christian. You should not be living like a non-Christian. And Paul's going to give some examples of what that's like. And I'm going to explain them in verses 9 and 10. So he says, Or do you not know, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I'm understanding this verse to be talking about non-Christians. And the reason I'm convinced of that is because in verse 11, he says, such were some of you. He's contrasting the Corinthians to the old way of life. And we know from the letter, and we know from chapter 6, that many of the Corinthians, even though they were saved out of that lifestyle, some continue to struggle with their former sins, and Paul's calling them out of it. So that's where I'm coming from. But I want you to understand the categories. He said, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, so that's it's a broad brushstroke of any kind of sexual sin, the sexually immoral. Nor idolaters. That's a broad brush of anybody that has a God who's not Jesus Christ. That could be money, possessions, things, relationships, something you idolize over Jesus Christ. Nor adulterers. That's specifically talking about those who are married but are having a physical relationship with someone who is not their spouse. Nor men who practice homosexuality. So that is talking about the sin of homosexuality. That, is, that would include both men and women who practice homosexuality. Nor thieves. That's those who steal. Nor the greedy. That's those who covet. Nor drunkards. That's those who are enslaved to alcohol. And I think the application is very clear. It could be drug use as well in our day and age. Nor revilers. That's those who are foul in speech. And venom comes out of your mouth, and you're harsh, and you're mean, and you're foul in your speech. Nor swindlers, that's your con men, that's your deceivers, that's, I'm going to steal money from you, but I'm going to do it in a sneaky way. I'm going to sell you an island that doesn't exist. That's the swindler. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now Paul has this, this big list, I don't think so much to say this is all the sins uh, known in the world, but he's just getting very big categories of the sinful nature and how it expresses itself. And in seed form, if you're honest with yourself, many of these have existed in you as a non-Christian. They're, they're inside. Well, this passage, the way I understand this passage, is, is Paul is exhorting the Christians in Corinth, do not live like that. Do not live like the unbelievers. You are no longer to live in that way. So he's speaking to Christians. We know that because the letter is written to a church in Corinth. 
Um, he is calling the believers not to live like unbelievers. And so, in one way, it's not that complicated. If you are a Christian, you're not to be living in ongoing sin. That's not just in this passage. That's all over the New Testament. And so one question to ask yourself, is there a large gap between your faith in Christ and how you're living your daily lives? As you go back last week, last month, last year, would we know you're a Christian by your actions? Now let me just clarify. We believe as a church that you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's where this message will end because that's where Paul heads to. But we also believe God calls us to live lives of holiness and obedience. Not to earn our acceptance, not to earn our salvation, but because we have been saved. And like I said at the outset, you don't have to be a Christian long to know Christians who get tangled up into sin. Well, how does that happen? How does a Christian, a genuine born-again Christian, get tangled up into sin again? I think Paul gives us an answer in Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 16. He asks another question. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of, of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, when you were born again, when you were saved, you were given new life. But you have the choice to go back to your old sinful desires. And so, what you present your members to, if you choose to turn on your computer and view pornography, you are you're putting the shackles of sin back on. If you choose to meditate on coveting your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband or your neighbor's house or your neighbor's car, and you meditate on it, you're putting the shackles back on. You were freed, but we have a choice. Are we going to sow to the flesh or are we going to sow to the Spirit? And so in some ways, you can see how people get back into their old way of life. And if that, that's you, God, God's calling you out of that. The most miserable people I meet as a pastor are Christians who are living two lives, who are tangled up in sin. It is a miserable, miserable reality because you have God's Spirit inside of you. You know what you're doing is wrong, and yet you put the, the shackles back on, and you are enslaved again. And as I was praying about this, I think there's a, a real specific application to, to our church and to people beyond it as well. But it's for those of you who are in my age group. So I'm 39 years old. So I'm going to say in the 30s to the 40s. One of the things that I have noticed is that particularly for our age group, there is a strong temptation for Christians who have been walking with the Lord a decade 15 years, to turn back to their former ways of, of, of sin before they were Christians. The way this usually plays out is life becomes more complicated. Um, maybe you have children. There's parenting pressure. 
There's financial pressure. There's relationship pressure. There's strain in your marriage. There's sadness and tragedy that has influenced you that you didn't prepare for. And so life at your 30s and 40s turned out, at this point, quite a bit different than you thought it was going to be. And it's at that moment, or those moments, that I have seen people turn back to the sins of their youth. So alcohol use, drug use, maybe even sinful relationships from their past that they rekindle on Facebook. And they, they're, they're looking for refuge. You're looking for refuge in something that will never provide refuge. And the Lord is the only one who can satisfy you. And so don't be like the Egyptians or the Israelites when they were free from Egypt. You remember what they did as they got further away from it? They started to have fond memories of Egypt. Imagine that. Fond memories of slavery. Oh, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad being Pharaoh's slaves. It wasn't so bad getting beat up all the time. It wasn't so bad being ruled by another. Well, the further you make it in your Christian life, I think particularly for those who are in your 30s and 40s, you can begin to remember the past in a wrong way. And let me appeal to you, plead to you, there is no life going back there. There is no life there. It's death, it's destruction, and it's consequences. That, that's all that's there. So if you're on the brink of that road, or you're in the middle of that road, I want to appeal to you, I want to plead with you. Turn back to the Lord. In a moment, I'm going to talk about how to do that. And here's the reality. When, when a Christian makes a practice of sin, there, there will be consequences. There is no doubt from the Bible there are consequences in this life and the life to come. I don't believe you lose your salvation, but I do believe the Bible is very clear that there are consequences both in this life and the life to come. Listen to how Paul says it in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to his Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we have a choice as Christians. Are we going to sow to God's Spirit, the new life in us, or are we going to sow to the flesh and our sinful cravings and desires? Well, maybe this morning you're, you're realizing that the Lord is kind of setting you up and you've been sowing to the flesh. You've been feeding your sinful desires. Well, what's the way out? How do you get out? How do you get back on track? Here's two very simple verses. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Here's the lie of sin. When you get entangled in sin, particularly as a Christian, and then you want to get out, and you feel like a fish on a hook, you just can't get off anymore. The lie is, I, I can't tell anybody. I can't tell anybody because I don't want to. I don't want to get it out there. But all the freedom for you is getting it out there. The Lord knows all. He sees all. The Bible says His eyes are everywhere. He watches everything. And so He knows. 
And if you want to receive mercy, you need to confess your sins to one another. First John says it this way. This is the aged apostle writing. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In this passage, John's talking about Christians. He's not talking about becoming Christians. He said, once you are, that fellowship has been broken because of our sin. If you confess it, He will cleanse you. He will scrub you down from all unrighteousness. And you will experience the joy and freedom that you once had. And there will be consequences. But the safest place for you to be is in the light, out in the open, in the light of God's Word and in the light of God's people. So if that is you, do not let the sun go down today without coming clean before the Lord and with others as well. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. If that's you, if you're a Christian, you've been living two lives. All the hope for you is in Jesus Christ. All the hope is coming to Jesus. Listen to how Paul says in Romans 7, as he's just aware of the sinfulness that remains in him. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our hope is Jesus. Now if you're not a Christian, and you are enslaved, and you don't know this freedom at all, the hope for you is the same. It's in Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus, He will wash away all your sins. He will forgive all your sins. And He will call you to follow Him for your entire life. And the Holy Spirit will give you power to follow and obey Him. So that's the first point. That's the, that's the going to the doctor part. That if you are out of shape spiritually, if there are major serious issues inside of your spiritual life, God is addressing you and He says, do not live like the unrighteous. Here's the good news. It's possible for us, it's really possible for us to live a new, vibrant life as Christians. Because some of you might be thinking, I want to do that as a Christian, but it feels so powerful and it feels so strong on the inside. I don't know how to live this new life. Well, I think part of it is you've got to know what Christ has already done for you. Which brings us to the second point. We must live out our new identity in Christ. We must live out our new identity in Christ. When you read the Bible, it's always important to read in context and, and pay very close attention to the words and the tense of the words, even in English. Look at verse 11. He's writing to Corinthians. He's writing to Christians. Some of the Christians he's writing to are struggling with sin. We know that from chapter 6, both before and after this verse. And he says, after this big long list of sins, he says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. In other words, a growing healthy church should be filled with X drunkards, ex-adulterers, ex-sexually immoral, ex-homosexuals, ex-thieves, ex-criminals, ex-self-righteous people who judged all the previous groups. We should have them all. That's what it means to be a Christian, that we were this, and then he made us this. 
We must live out our new identity. When you came to Christ, you were given a new identity. You became a Christian. And, and that's what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time. Now, some of us in this room, we, we know what it was like to be enslaved to the sins mentioned in verses 9 and 10. We, we know. I, I know what it was like to be enslaved to drugs and alcohol. I, I know that from personal experience. And I know when I met Jesus Christ at the age of 19, I know what it's like to be free, to be given new life, new power, a new identity. And I want us to focus on this new life and identity. Because I think it's a really big deal, particularly if you struggle with, in the past with very enslaving sins. When you came to Christ, you were made new. This idea was hit home to me um, right after I became a Christian, probably a year or two after I became a Christian. I was about 20 or 21 years old, and I went to a um, an inpatient rehab center as a guest with my, my Uncle Bernie. My Uncle Bernie was probably 25, 30 years older than me. He was a lifelong heroin user. And at times he would be sober and at times he would be using. And he knew I had just become a Christian. He knew about my past. And so he said, hey, you want to go to a meeting with me? And I think it was a Sunday morning. He was at a pretty famous uh, rehab center in Lancaster County. And if you've ever been to meetings like that, it's a pretty free uh, environment. They, they talk for a little bit and then they just kind of open it up and anybody can talk about anything that you want to. And so I was a brand new Christian, excited about Jesus, freed from my sins, knew that I was a new creation, and just listening one after another of, of men and women, young and old, and, and they would say something like this, and I, and I understand this, and some of you in this room may say this, so just hang in there with me. They would say, hi, my name's Joe. I'm a drug addict. Hi, hi, my name's Joe. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Joe. And then what follows, hi, my name's Joe, is the sin that ensnares them. And I understand that because that, that ensnaring sin is so real and so powerful. But what the Bible's saying is, hi, my name's Joe. I'm a Christian. I've been born again. I've been set free. I've been forgiven of all my sins. And that's the new life we have in Jesus. And so, it was probably one of the first times I spoke in public. I remember getting enough courage because I was so um, affected by this idea in the Bible that I got up and I, I don't remember anything else. I just said, hi, my name's Joe and I love Jesus and he, he's, he paid for all my sins. And so, I, that is good news, right? That is really good news. One of the reasons I love going to rehab centers and sharing the gospel because this message is powerful. Jesus is powerful. He gives new life. Now that doesn't mean there's not struggles and things to work out and there's not a place for inpatient treatment centers. There really is because it's a powerful enslavement. But for the Christian, it's no longer your identity. You've been made new. So Paul's going to give us a couple of these very specific ways that we've been made new. First one, but you were washed. You were washed. To understand that verse, I think Titus explains it very well. Chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, when you became a Christian, God's Spirit came inside of you. You were born again. You were made new. You were made alive. You were washed. You were changed. You were transformed spiritually. Paul said it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old you died was crucified when you became a Christian. And you were made new. And if you come from like a lifestyle like I lived as a high school student in my early days of college, this is one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. You've been made new. The old you died. And the new you was reborn by God's Spirit. That is amazing news. Now in this room, there are probably there's some handy people. And there's some people like me that can do enough to be dangerous. And so, there can be two kinds of house renovators. There can be those of you, and I, I sadly fall in this category, but I'm, I'm getting out of it, um, thanks to my dad's help. But, um, so when you renovate a house, you just want to get it done, you want to make it look good, and then you want to move on to the next thing. Okay, that's one way to do it. And that's killing half the room, the other half the room is like, that's exactly what I would do. Now the other one, you buy a house, it's an old house, we have a lot of them around here, you're going to gut the whole thing. And you're going to start and rip it apart. You're going to redo the plumbing, the electrical work, everything that you cannot see that half the room doesn't even care about. You're going to, except when there's a problem, you're going to renovate the whole thing and then you're going to put it back together. And from a distance, it's still going to look like the old house. But it's been totally renovated. Spiritually, when you became a Christian, that's what happened. You were renovated gutted, changed from the inside out. Over here, this is more like behavior modification. Like, don't do this, don't do that, stop doing this, stop doing that. Works for a little bit, but the, the old plumbing's still in there, the old electrical work's still in there, a house fire's going to happen at some point because it wasn't properly renovated. When you became a Christian, you were made new. God's Spirit came inside of you and He wants to change you Slowly, over time. We were made new. It's a big deal. Spend a lot more time thinking about your new life in Christ than about who you once were. Or thinking about those sinful desires that, that pop up from time to time. Spend far more time thinking about who you are in Christ. Now here's, here's an interesting one he says as well. So we were made new. We were also made holy in Christ. So the verse says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Meaning you were made holy. This isn't the sanctified of our progressive sanctification where we're growing and changing. This is past tense. You were sanctified. Meaning you were set apart when you became a Christian. Another way to say it is you were made holy. You went from being a sinful object sinful person who God had no use for you and then he saved you and he set you apart and he made you holy 
And that's hard for some of you to believe about yourself. I mean, if we were watching a video of the Corinthian church, I don't know if I've ever seen a church like this. I mean, we're going to get to a passage where they're getting drunk at communion. So we just had communion. We know nothing about people stumbling and falling on, during a church service getting drunk. I mean, we would we'd think, what in the world is going on? That's the kind of sins that were happening in this particular church. But what's so interesting, at the beginning of this letter, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, so this is a church. Bob Mundorf has described the Corinthian church as maybe like the, the Jerry Springer show of churches. So, so God's working, but they got issues, and God is working. But how would you address a church like that if you're writing a letter to them? Listen to how Paul addresses it. To the church of God that is in Corinth, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. These are the saints. These are God's chosen people. Called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs, their Lord and ours. They were equal. This is the great Apostle Paul, author of a lot of the New Testament. When he thought about them, he, he saw them as equals because they're saints. They're positionally saints. They've been set apart. Now, he's going to spend a lot of time in the letter, now live like your saints. But you have been made holy. You have been set apart when you trusted in Christ. You were made holy. Not only that, this had blow, blew me away when I first became a Christian. Ephesians 2.10. Not only that, but He set you apart and then He's actually going to make you useful for Him. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, that's amazing. And I know a lot of us in this room. I'm not the only one who did bad things when we were younger. We go from really being, a, in some ways, a menace to society. Jesus rescues us, saves us, and says, here's good works now you can walk in. That's what He does for all of us. That is good news. That should encourage you personally. And that should encourage you when you share the Gospel with others. You have no idea what the Lord can do when, when He causes someone to be born again, gives them saving faith in His Son, calls them to be holy, and then makes them useful. You just never know. Then lastly, this is just all about our identity, we were declared righteous in Christ. So such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We were declared righteous in Christ. And I think if there's anything we've done well as pastors since even before I was a pastor, even when Steve was alive as a pastor, when Mark has been preaching this for decades, is teaching you guys about what it means to be justified, to be declared righteous. But as a pastor, I know there's a difference between understanding what that means and actually experiencing it. So I'm going to spend a few minutes in the end just pressing this home one more time. What does it mean that you have been justified? When you turn to Jesus Christ, the Bible says 
that you were declared righteous. You were justified. That's a legal term. We are in the courtroom with this kind of language. And what that means is when you first trusted in Jesus, a legal transaction occurred. And what happened in that legal transaction is all of your sins were credited to Jesus Christ. And all of His perfection, obedience, and righteousness was credited to you. It was a one-time declaration. And some people describe it as it's just as if you never sinned. But it's actually a lot better than that. It's just as if you were Jesus in your obedience. You were absolutely perfect. And that one-time act happened the moment you trusted in Jesus. So every Christian in this room is equally justified. There is not one who is more justified and one who is less justified. You are equally declared righteous. Happened the moment you first trusted in Christ. Let me illustrate a little bit more because I, I even know from personal experience we can understand it, but then we don't experience the good of it. So here's what I want you to imagine. I'm not going to do this. This is just imagine, okay? I want you to imagine that I'm the judge. I'm God the Father. I'm the judge. And I'm going to line you all up in a long line around this room. You're going to come up this ramp. I'm going to call you up one by one. I'm God the judge. And when you come up, we do a quick survey of your sinful past. Thought, word, and deed for your entire life. And I'm the judge. I'm God, so my character, I can judge you. And I got my word, I can judge you. And one by one, the adulterer comes up. The fornicator, the sexually immoral, the active homosexual, the, the drunkard, the drug user. And we just come right through the line. The self-righteous who thinks they're better than all the others. Judge them all. And I, as a perfect judge, I look and I listen and I consider my word and I consider my character and I declare guilty one after another. And then on this side, there's only one person standing here. And it's my son. It's Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's fully God. He's fully man. And one by one, I have one question for each of you. Do you want to receive my punishment for your sins? Or do you want to accept the free gift of my Son who willingly will die for you, be crucified for you, buried for you, and will rise, both conquering your sin and death? And one by one, we all have that choice. If you walk up that line and you have trusted in Christ, your sins are paid in full. You are covered. You are forgiven. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, and you feel guilty about, I didn't do this as a dad, or I didn't do this as a mom, or I didn't do this as a friend, or I didn't do this as a daughter, or I didn't do this as a grandson, or I didn't do this as a granddaughter, or I didn't do this, I didn't write that letter, I didn't call that person. All those things that just heap upon us. If you're in Christ, the starting place is I am clothed, covered completely with Christ's perfection. I can approach God the Father with full freedom, complete forgiveness, and that's I'm going to start my day. That's how I'm going to end my day. It's because you've been justified. It's a big, big, big deal. So let me just close with this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. 
Since we have been made new in Christ, we must not return to our own sinful ways. Let's pray and have the band come up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would both encourage and convict us as we sing this last song, that we would just stand secure in what you have done for us. And Lord, where there are gaps between our profession of faith and our actual life, that we pray that those gaps would close. And Lord, I pray that you would open blind eyes who haven't been able to see you their entire lives, would, would leave this morning having seen you and experienced the forgiveness of their sins by looking to you. And Lord, we will give you all the glory and honor. And we just thank you for another Sunday that you've given us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.